There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, a special welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be back. Hey, Martin, uh, you've just heard we've got a big schedule ahead talking about all sorts of issues today. But one that I want to pick up with, with you is the idea that LGBT activists who wanted the marriage laws redefined so that they'd feel better about themselves, but now they apparently feel worse about themselves. Uh, what's the issue here? This is a study out of Macquarie University, which has been reported on in the press uh, over the last 24 hours, which is showing, well, they're claiming that four out of five LGBT Australians feel worse now than they did during the same-sex marriage vote. And you remember at the time there was a lot of talk about the fact that this debate was affecting the lives of LGBT people and it was uh, causing the mental health uh, issues and various forms of consternation and so on. Um, And it's just interesting that this comes up now uh, and the reason it's come up now and the reason it's being reported on now is because they're saying, well, if four out of five LGBT Australians feel worse now than they did then, then we should stop debating the religious discrimination bill because it's hurting people. Uh, and uh, that's one of the, the, the takeaways from, from this report. And it's, it's, a, it's a fairly typical tactic, as we're seeing more and more, and it's based on the idea that LGBT Australians are particularly vulnerable people, um, that they are in a group that, 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 is, that is a victim group, uh, and that they are subject to uh, discrimination and abuse, and therefore... Whenever we start to talk about policy issues that they find to be controversial, then we need to shut our mouths. It's, it's kind of a, a sort of an emotional uh, blackmail, if you like, to try and stop debate. Um, but see, this is this is a difficult one. You know, I actually have no doubt, having talked to quite a lot of LGBT people, particularly in this job, that they do feel the things that they say that they feel. I have I have little doubt about that, um, uh, and. The, the problem is, though, that uh, we found from the global experience that changing policy doesn't improve those feelings. There's actually something called the Dutch paradox, which is the, uh, the simple fact that the, uh, the rate of mental health concerns and suicide rates and so on amongst the LGBT community in the Netherlands, which is considered to be the most LGBT-friendly place on Earth, having enacted the most LGBT-friendly uh, policies and having the most integration of LGBT people. Uh, in the Netherlands, it, it's not substantially better than in other Western countries, the same in places like Sweden, etc. So we actually know, I mean, if we're going to talk about research, we're going to talk about data, we know that these policy changes do not improve the mental health uh, to a significant degree of LGBT people. So there's that. And the other side of it is that I worry that the more we talk about this and the, in this way and Stay constantly over and over again. Do you know what? If we talk about something that members of the LGBT community or some members might not like, 
then what we're going to do is we're going to force them to have worse mental health issues and we're going to force young people to commit suicide. I, I really worry that that's a very reckless thing to say because I think there are a lot of young LGBT people out there who are struggling with mental health concerns. And if we keep saying that, my concern will be that they will think that that is an excuse, that is a permission structure to do something terrible to themselves. Whereas, you know, we all grew up being told quite the opposite, which is that you are going to encounter things in your life which you don't like, which are really tough to hear. But you know what? If you do so, you need to be resilient and you need to keep living. And you No, that's not a permission structure to do anything to yourself uh, that might hurt you. And I think that's actually the more important thing. We should be saying, look, we need to learn how to have a good public debate on, on important matters that affect people's lives and affect people's rights without having this spectre of, uh-oh, you can't talk about that, you might hurt someone. Because as soon as you bring silence into a situation, you're never going to get a good result out of it. The timing for this, Martin, around the time when the government is to debate religious freedom legislation, it, it does smack of the idea that there is some connection here to the timing of this research so that it can, in some ways, uh, what you know is considered to be an amplifying of negative voices uh, that and again uh, talking about you know who are the victims in all of this there is a certain sense in which uh, that victimhood comes to the rise in a sense where the LGBT community might be uh, batting uh, to actually uh, deny us our religious freedom so uh, how do we actually uh, you know, get the uh, the idea of how we sit with religious freedom laws being legislated and there is a movement on the LGBT side of the argument that wants to actually make sure that there is no such thing as a religious freedom. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We're starting to talk all of a sudden about LGBT, the LGBT versus religion, which is not what this is even about. Nobody mentioned LGBT. All that this is is a religious discrimination bill. And all this was about was saying, well, you know, there's going to be circumstances in which you can't discriminate against people in institutions based on their religion. Well, that doesn't in itself mention anything about LGBT, but of course there's this public narrative that's out there going, oh, if you let the religious people have their freedom, if you let the religious people have some rights, then LGBT people will suffer. And, and, and you can see research and articles like this are just building that up in people's minds, saying, yes, there's this clash, there's this ability. That's actually not what this is about. Uh, this is about religious freedom. This is about not religious non-discrimination. And there's no explicit mention of LGBT issues in the bill whatsoever. Um, but there is this campaign, and as you can see then, that there's a PR aspect to this. There's a, there's a narrative that's being woven and built. Uh, and so there's a lot of people out there who don't want this bill to pass, which makes it very important for Christian voices to keep speaking in favour of these sorts of legislative changes, even if it's a small change, which it is, and it is only a small change. But, of course, there's a lot of people out there that can't even take a small change because they don't want to step in the wrong direction because the momentum's all been their way for a while now. Uh, and this is a significant pushback. So I would say to people, look, you need to support organisations uh, like the ACL and others who are able to give a voice to this and support it and are able to speak to politicians, and we are all the time, about just trying to keep this at the forefront, trying to keep this as a priority. But also, please give us your practical support because... Uh, this bill is going to be introduced in a revised form into the Parliament sometime between now and May. And when it does, we're going to be calling on you uh, to make phone calls, to send emails and do things like that to raise your voice from the grassroots. So not just The Guardian publishing an article about the study of Macquarie University, which is what we're seeing today, but people like yourselves in their thousands 
contacting their MPs and saying, I care about this. Uh, this is something that's important to me. So we really need to be there to do those things at the right times to push back because this narrative is very strong and we all know whose side much of the media are on uh, and so these stories get the airing that they deserve. And, and it's not about LGBT people. It's just about people of faith not being discriminated against and having certain rights to speak without threat of losing their jobs and things like that. Well, a powerful way to put that and one that we have to be constantly aware of in every conversation we're a part of because when we're talking about the religious freedom legislation, that has really now nothing to do with LGBT people. But LGBT activists are trying very hard, as you say. They've created a public narrative and uh, as I understand it, it's being called uh, now Marriage Equality 2.0. In other words, uh, this is something that that LGBT uh, activism is taking up as their next phase of development. And so Marriage Equality 2.0, nothing to do with religious freedom, but they're trying to force the agenda. And as I understand it, Martin, as uh, federal parliament resumes, uh, all quiet on the religious freedom front. Uh, they're not. There's no sign they might be debating that in the next week or two. Yeah, it looks like they won't be, Neil. Uh, this this is the one that just keeps getting pushed off just a little further, a little further all the time. I would say this though: um, behind the scenes, there's a lot of talk. So you know, I want people to be absolutely assured that we spend uh, a lot of time in the parliament. Uh, we spend a lot of time talking to uh, politicians within the government. Uh, we've spent time talking to people in cabinet, senior levels, uh, the most senior levels of government. Uh, we're talking to the drafters of the bill. Those conversations are all ongoing. Uh, the, the, the agenda is not um, off. Uh, the bill is still coming. We're just sort of grappling with the fact that the government's just being very slow and very cautious about it. And uh, we're probably looking now... It could be May, you know, because of the budget and everything, but, but we don't know. So that's why I say to everyone, just, just stay alert, stay tuned, uh, and be ready for sort of information from us. And we've been a little bit quiet on this because, to be honest, we're trying to, we're trying to make it better. I don't want to come out in the public squares and, say, and support it loudly because I want the government to make it better. Uh, and so we're just, we're just working quietly at the moment, but that's going, that is ongoing. Martin, let's stay on the LGBT uh, agenda for a few moments because there's been some developments in Queensland around the Queensland Parliament Health Committee. Uh, they were talking about all sorts of uh, conversion bans. Uh, what's the latest on all of that that's been developing in Queensland? Well, this is a really good proof of the point that I was saying before, which is how important it is for us to raise our voices because... Uh, they had this uh, proposed ban for LGBT conversion therapy. Of course, uh, everybody read it and went, this is bonkers, it's going to have all sorts of unintended consequences. So the Queensland Law Society came out and said that this section of the legislation is unworkable, uh, which is a big deal. Uh, and then the Australian Medical Association, the AMA, uh, the Queensland branch, came out and said this is clinically unworkable. You can't, you can't treat gender dysphoria uh, and same-sex attraction, uh, like one-way streets. As if you can go one way, you can become gay or you can become trans, but you can't go the other way. And you certainly can't treat it that way prematurely. So a young child comes to a psychologist and says, I feel like I might be a girl now, not a boy. And the psychologist knows that that child has other things going on in their life. For example, they might be suffering from some kind of mania or some kind of depression or something like that, but the legislation would have made it illegal for that psychologist to say, well, okay, let's explore whether or not you can come back from that feeling. 
No, it's all a one-way street. You can only go one way and no one can say anything or do anything uh, to bring you back or to try and explore more deeply your symptoms and so on. That, that actually would have been the effect of the law. It was as mad as it sounds. And so you had all the doctors come out and say, this is, this is crazy, this isn't how it works in practice. But also you had 1,100 Queenslanders uh, who on ACL's call sent in their submission saying, look, we're parents and so on, and we've got children who might go through these challenges. We want the freedom to be able to raise our children in accordance with our beliefs. We also want the freedom to do what's in the best interest of our child without the law coming in and saying, well, no, you, you, can't, you can't help them if they feel like they might have a gender problem or a sexuality uh, issue going on. Uh, and those 1,100 submissions were mentioned in the report by the committee that, uh, that did the work on this. So that's brilliant. Your voice was heard. But so too uh, did the AMA in- intervene and the Queensland Law Society, and they've come out and basically said, look, the legislation, as it's drafted, is unworkable. And a number of members of the committee said it's not only unworkable, but it shouldn't proceed. This, this whole idea should, should be off the boil. So that's a fantastic bit of progress in Queensland. And you contrast that with the Victorian experience, which was you know, much, much worse. They didn't get much opposition. But, you know, well done, Queensland. All right. And I guess if it comes to a vote in the Queensland Parliament, uh, it would be ridiculous to assume that they would reject uh, the Health Committee's recommendation there if that's come through in that way. Uh, another quick a quick one to tackle with you here, uh, Martin, the idea of euthanasia. We know that in Victoria, euthanasia is already legal and the statistics would show us that 52 deaths had taken place in Victoria up to the end of last year. And But I wanted to just uh, quickly touch on something that's developing in South Australia along these lines where police claim 10 terminally ill people took their lives in the first six months of 2019. Uh, what are your thoughts on... I mean, this is not even law in South Australia. What are your thoughts on the way that what's happened in Victoria is affecting the rest of the nation? It's interesting. I actually happen to know somebody who is a um, one of the most senior palliative care physicians in the country and, and actually oversees one of the biggest palliative care hospitals or units within hospitals uh, in the country. Uh, and he has cared for thousands and thousands of people uh, in their last days. And he said uh, the other day, um, he said that he's never, ever had a single patient ever request euthanasia in all of his years of experience, and there's been many. Uh, and I found that interesting. And, and he said, because when proper palliative care is supplied to a person, they don't ask for it. They are actually cared for. And so if there's 10 terminally ill people that have taken their lives in South Australia, I'm sitting here going, well, what's the correct question to ask? You know, you can either ask, were they properly cared for? Did they have mental health um, uh, resources? Did they have palliative care resources? Uh, or you can ask, oh, 10 people have killed themselves. Maybe we should make killing yourself legal, uh, which is crazy. We want less suicide, not more. And since when have we ever thought about the issue of suicide any differently? And it just shows what these laws are doing to the way people think about life, and uh, particularly the way people think about the value of sick people. Uh, oh, well, they're dying. We should, we should kill them. It's crazy. And Victoria has led the way on this. Um, There were 56, I think, it was 50-something, 56, I think, deaths in Victoria in six months under the new euthanasia laws. And that's quite low. Uh, But, you know, in the Netherlands, um, it started out with less than 1% in 2003. 
early on in the euthanasia regime they have there. Now nearly 5% of all deaths in the Netherlands are euthanasia deaths, and a lot of them are people who are not terminally ill. A lot of them are people who just have mental anguish and pain and suffering of the mind, and they're not, you know, they're not uh, physically, it's not a physiological illness. Uh, and so you see the laws liberalised, and already in Victoria you have calls to change the laws there, to make them more liberal, to remove uh, the... Uh, to remove certain requirements uh, on those laws. And, and, and you, you see the slippery slope. So in South Australia, we've changed our mind about how we think of sick people. In Victoria, they're already well ahead of the curve. It's a, it's a dark slope that we don't want to go down. That's right. What's happened in Victoria already affects the thinking of people right around the nation because it's law in one state. Others are, well, there are certain groups trying to move that way. Martin Isles, always appreciate your insights and a great update on just what's happening in the background as things are significant around the states and around this nation. I want to point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website and it's acl.org.au, acl.org.au. Not only for those uh, very valuable resources that you'll read, those articles that give you an understanding of what's going on behind the scenes, but also uh, to support a great organisation that does such good work uh, lobbying, as they are called, the Australian Christian Lobby. And whether you support acl.org.au, Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the ACL, Martin, thanks so much for updating us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. My pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.